Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Hi, you both. It's good to be here with you. Um, We've got Charlie Red on the podcast today. Uh, Charlie, why don't you take it away and offer us a a bit about yourself, social location, your astrology, whatever else you might want to share. Cool. Um, Super, super excited to be here with y'all today. Um, my name is Charlie Red, and as far as social location goes, um, I take quite a few, um, boxes in the way of, um, I don't know, things that affect my life to the positive and sometimes to the negative. So I am a, um, Black, queer, um, femme woman. Um, I am a cis person. Um, I also have quite a bit of educational privilege. Um, I also come from Po folks. <laughs> so um, that that weaves in a lot of different layers of experience. Um, I have quite a bit of um, physical ability, but also I navigate um, sometimes crippling um, mental struggles as well um, that also inform the things that I do. And I am a Gemini, a June Gemini, whoop, whoop. And apparently I have Libra rising moon. There's, there's lots of Libra stuff happening um, as well, which I've been told and read a couple, like in a lot of different ways that, that kind of affirms my relationship to um, justice. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me in, in the stars and in my life. Yeah. And when we looked that up earlier, I was like, of course, Charlie has a Libra moon and a Libra rising. Like that just makes so much sense. Um, And I mean, I'm so excited to have this conversation and 
Um, there's so many times when you and I are talking, whether about our course or just as friends where I'm like, this would make a really good podcast. <laughs> yeah. We should say like you two work together. You have oh, a collaborative yeah. relationship. Why don't you share yeah. both of you a bit about that? And Charlie share about what you do both with Lauren and apart individually separately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that. We didn't live with Charlie. Can you tell us what your name is and what you do? Um, what I do is I like to flip tables sometimes. No, really, I am a, um, I own a yoga studio, a wellness space. I'm really thinking about changing it from calling it a yoga studio because it's really more about like well-being and healing and community. But I own a yoga studio, air quotes, um, here in Indianapolis where I live that is focused on uplifting and affirming and supporting the experiences and voices of often marginalized people. And I like to put often in front of it because that doesn't necessarily mean that like we're anybody's victim, um, but it means that for all types of reasons, <laughs> we're often um, not centered in, in ways in the world. So I do that. I also, um, I've been teaching yoga for over seven years. Um, other wellness practices. I've been leaning more into my own work of um, sound and energetic meditation work, as well as deep, delicious, conscious rest in the form of yoga nidra and, um, and ancestral practices as they come up in my spirit, um, finding my way around and getting close to them as best as I can. So I do that also um, help facilitate different conversations around equity and social justice, um, which is where Lauren and I have been collaborating. I mean, we've also collaborated at the studio. Lauren has taught at my studio before, and also um, we're friends. I would I would definitely say we're, we're not just collaborative yes. partners. Like Lauren <laughs> is one of my favorite people, and I happen to have the privilege of being able to work with her and talk to her on a weekly basis. Um, so that's really great. <laughs> I know what that's like now that Lauren <laughs> and I are collaborating. So you two, you two, correct me if I'm wrong, you're facilitating, um, and I don't know the language that you're using, but you're facilitating anti-oppression, anti-racism spaces and conversations. And um, is, is, that, is that the primary way that the two of you are collaborating right now? At the moment, yes. Yeah. But it also seems like there's always there's <laughs> magic. That's my sense. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We started... Um, there's a very interesting mix of how Lauren and I like connected with each other. We went to the same yoga teacher training a year apart, but met in DC, Washington DC and met here in Indianapolis. And so when I met Lauren, I was like, Oh, you teach yoga me too. And she's like, yeah, I did my yoga teacher training at yoga district. I'm like, in DC, me too. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of like, when you've been taught by, first of all, what calls you to go to a certain training and be taught by the same people, a lot of times you have a lot of um, through lines, but also the culture of the studio is very much one of um, trauma-informed, accessible, community-based, equity-based, and they didn't necessarily use that language, but that's what they did, so, um, or that's what they, they do, so um, we already had a lot of lines of integrity that were the same, and we just kept in touch with each other since then. Um, but in our in our work together as co-facilitators, we've done um, work around uh, civics and politics, and then also 
in more recent times, the language that we use for the course that we're doing is specifically anti-racism, but also drilling down um, anti-racism as it um, amplifies or um, brings up anti-Blackness because we wanted to be really specific around the, the flavor of conversation that we're having around racism and not that it doesn't, that, that it only affects black people, but the, the essence of the work that we're doing and the conversations that we're trying to have really drilled down to the, the space of anti-blackness, which is not necessarily the same as um, anti-racism. Yeah, I appreciate you getting specific about that because that's a piece that I don't always feel equipped to explain to people. Um, and I, I should also say our brand is called Radically Awaken and we have a website coming very soon yeah. by the time this is out. So yeah, we do this um, course that's about 30 or so people. Um, it's majority white folks, but we do have um, folks of color in there too. It's we're on, we're going into our sixth of six months. Mm -hmm. So um, we're wrapping it up. Also, I want to acknowledge there's a leaf blower outside. I live in an old historic building. So the water is go like, it's so loud in my background. I apologize. <laughs> My sound quality is terrible. Um, but all this is to say, it's just, it's always such a joy to facilitate with you. And I mean, we were friends obviously before we did work together. So I knew it would be fun, but last, um, I guess it would have been last summer. We started the people power and yoga series around the local elections in Indy. And mm -hmm. after our first session, you know, we had prepared together and gotten ready and I knew it was going to go well, but we got done and I looked at you and I'm like, this is really easy. Like, because I'm, you both are facilitators. Like, I'm sure you've been in situations where you don't know when to jump in. You're worried about stepping on someone's toes or they're stepping on your toe. Like, but that has not been my experience at all with you, Charlie. Like, you are just so skilled and so attuned to like the energy of the room, not just to what um, the, the people attending a workshop or anything need, but also what is happening in the facilitator relationship. And I, I learned so much too, just from watching you. So I really want to take a moment and just honor that. I'm so grateful. I'm glad girl blushing. You can't see it. <laughs> I think I see it, Carly. You know, and I love too that as you're describing yourself, you're explaining all of the sound healing that you're getting into. And um, recently you've started using the word artist to also describe what you do. You don't fit into one box as much as people might want to put you in a box. Tristan's like dancing. <laughs> um, so I, I want to get into joy, but I also first want to ask, you know, what inspired you to open Haven? Like what what was the need you were responding to for yourself, for your community, all of that stuff? So there is this moment. Um, this is the quickest way that I can tell the story. Is there's this moment that I had. Um, I know in particular it's a conversation that I have with with many Black women and Black femme folk, but also I feel like it even goes further than that to people who are kind of placed different ways in our society underneath like ultimate power, <laughs> um, which is there was this moment where I was teaching at a yoga studio and I was working at a place and this, I really truly believe that this person on a subconscious level, not consciously thought that she owned me. And for a bunch of reasons, all of the ancestors within me were like, 
hell no. <laughs> and um, I just hit this moment of, I'm not doing this anymore. And from there, I resolved in that moment, deep from my gut, that the only studio that I'd be teaching in for the foreseeable future would be my own. However, it did not have said studio and it was nowhere to be in sight. Um, so yeah, it just kind of stemmed from that place. Like I am not um, something to be owned. However, my experiences matter. And the people that have loved me to life, their experiences matter. And they deserve a space to be able to just come and like be their like cute ass, messy ass, like, you know what I'm saying? They need, they deserve a space to just like be themselves and be well and learn and be in proximity with other people that are doing their own stuff. Even if we're not doing or thinking the same way that we can do it together. And I just really didn't feel like that space existed. So I'm trying my best actively even still to, to create that. So, um, yeah. And, and it, it's not, it was not a decision like, oh, I can do this to make money or like, I want to do this so that I can be over other people or anything like that. It was, I have some, some tools and I, and I feel like at this point, quite a bit of social capital, um, built up that I really think that I can make this happen and then as I go I can continue to like decentralize myself because it is really about us you know as a collective us I'm nodding so hard yeah um <laughs> I want to reflect back a couple things that you just said number one is it's a space for people to be their whole selves whatever that looks like I love that you embrace the messiness not just for your students but also for yourself um, and the social capital thing for anyone who hasn't been in public with Charlie, I just have to say, it's like, oh, here we go in Indianapolis. I swear to God, every time we're at lunch or coffee or whatever, at least one person is like, oh, Hey, you're that lady who owns Haven or I, my friend took your, like, it's, it's, or I'm it's, the yoga lady. You're that, the yoga the thing. You're the Haven lady. And it's, <laughs> uh, and I love how it makes you so uncomfortable, <laughs> but <laughs> But I've also been like at a coffee shop and overheard people talking about you. I mean, in a positive way, right? But um, anyway, I, so I had to just mention that because I think it's funny. Um, and also such a testament just to how authentically you continue to show up and walk the talk when it comes to the work you do. Um, and speaking of decentralizing yourself, what I have found really fascinating to watch in the last maybe six months or so is that you don't want to teach a regularly scheduled asana class. Like you are really staying curious about what it is you want to spend your time on and that the space doesn't need to be your yoga class. It can be everyone's yoga classes. And then you can do the sound healing and all this other cool shit you're up to. Yeah. Um, also like one, I think you like to bring that up because you know it makes me immensely uncomfortable. <laughs> yep. <I'm> like, <laughs> That's love. Hi. Let me just clarify. <laughs> we'll be out and Lauren and I'll be on the phone with Lauren and someone will come up and she's like, Charlie, you're such a celebrity. And I'm like, stop, please. I'm just out here minding my business. Um, but also like I've been the most awkward to me, or like awesome slash awkward, is I was in um, a neighborhood here in Indy called Fountain Square, like eating tacos. 
and like I am like mid bite of taco and then the table next to us is like is that the yoga lady and I'm like all right hello <laughs> let, me, let me finish biting this and chewing what's in my mouth and like hey <laughs> um, you're beloved Charlie that's wonderful I, you've made an you've made a, a place and an impact in in your in exactly your, in your world and community yeah. yeah well it still feels weird because I'm like it's really like I'm glad that that I'm reflecting you back to you like really that's how it feels so it's like if we're going to celebrate anybody or anything it's like I celebrate you for showing up <laughs> like it was good to see you in class this week or it was good to talk to you this week or whatever um so that being said I also really this is some selfishness coming in, which is fine. I've been teaching yoga for like over seven years at this point, And I've taught multiple weekly classes for the majority of that. Um, and as a teacher and as a student, like my practice has matured and shifted and ebbed and flows. And I, I pull and I use different yoga tools for different reasons as many of us do. Um, and I've definitely been finding in recent times that, um, not that I have a poor relationship with my like asana practice, but the practices that have really held me and helped sustain me the most have been more in the space of, of concentration, of, of sound work, of breath work, um, of rest, resting deeply and like allowing myself to be in that, that kind of liminal space. So um, there's a combination of like authenticity and I have been teaching a lot. <laughs> I've been teaching a lot. And so I um, also really trust my team and am excited to be able to continue to amplify the work that they're doing and amplify the classes that they're teaching and being able to um, like support and expand them in teaching regular asana classes. And then I get to sub on occasion, but I don't have to like, do the weekly thing right now which frees me up for doing lots of other things as well so but the sound work has been giving me all of the life and it's really exciting slash terrifying it may be my Gemini coming out it's like I really like trying new stuff and it's also really awkward to like be absolutely new at something and there's this like wonder and terror that happens at the same time so excuse me I've been doing that more I've done quite a few of them in person, socially distant with masks on in large spaces and parks here when it was, you know, warm. We just did our last one, was it last week or maybe two weeks ago? Um, and yeah, it's just kind of growing and expanding from there. I have a growing arsenal of instruments that I've been playing with and um, I may or may not be kind of calling myself an artist because it's feeling that way, but yeah. Certainly sounding that way. And, you know, I, I love how you're talking about this too, because it's reminding me of the value of um, normalizing the fact that yoga teachers aren't necessarily showing up to practice asana on their mats every day, mm -hmm. asana being the physical practice. Like, I mm -hmm. think as students, a lot of us have this um, perception that all of our yoga teachers are getting on their mats for like an hour or even three hours, and they're moving through these poses and they're working out these sequences and they're nerding out. And so to say, like, you're exploring so many different facets of yoga in all of the ways that yoga might manifest. And 
your practice, what, what, what means the most to you, what's feeding you, what's nourishing you and what you want to be offering, um, it sounds like more uh, enthusiastically to others, isn't actually related to the physical practice that you're, mm-hmm. you're really leaning into exploring all these other ways that yoga might be presented and, and related to that also leans towards healing and, and grounding and, and self-care and, and all mm-hmm. the things. And I just love that you're saying that and sharing that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and honestly, it, it feels more authentic for, like, as a teacher, or as a space holder, as a leader for this work, in particular, um, one would hope <laughs> that you are practicing what you're teaching. Yep. And so there's kind of like, not that there's been an incongruency, but there's been a space of like, I have my certain prep and things that I'll do for classes. And you know, my own practice and like working through different poses and feeling how they feel in my body. But like sometimes and some days, you know, it feels like, um, like my heart weighs a thousand pounds and I like can't move my body off the floor. And like, I didn't really, like at first I felt bad about it. I'm like, get your ass up <laughs> and, and do the things because you know how to do the things, like get it done. But then also I'm like, there have to be tools that allow me to be here in a way that actually calls all of this in, right? And so I would, you know, start to play different sounds or um, I would breathe a different way. Um, talking through Yoga Nidra in particular with, um, I did like an interview before I started uh, my training with Tracy Stanley and um Shanti, I am going to mess up her last name, so I'm not going to say it, but they have a, um, a training for Yoga Ninja that I'm in with them currently, and it's amazing, and Tracy asked me where, like, my relationship with Yoga Ninja started, and I realized that the very first yoga that I was actually introduced to was Yoga Ninja, like, the first yoga that actually impacted my life and I held on to as a teenager there was like this DVD that my dance teacher was playing with like yoga and like I was doing the poses like I was a dance so I'm like okay we can do these poses make my body make shapes okay and then like at the end the teacher did a body scan and I didn't know this at the time but like I had really bad anxiety and had a hard time going to sleep at night because my brain wouldn't shut up put that in air quotes <laughs> um, and I fell asleep in the class easily and so I went home or went back to my dorm that night and was like I remember this person saying things about like you know your different parts of your body so I'm just gonna like lay in my bed and I'm just gonna say body parts and see what happens and I went to sleep <laughs> like I allowed myself enough time to relax and go to sleep and so I realized that like initially kind of like the first kind of healing balm and salve of uh, like a yoga practice or a yogic way of life was actually yoga nidra. So, um, so yeah, and, and zooming out from that, my communities and the communities that I work with are mostly Black folks, uh, queer folks, and elders, which they give me so much joy. <laughs> um, and I found that the majority, um, there's like numbers and stuff out there about how many people in America and maybe even globally, but in particular in America have at least heard of yoga before is like in the 90%. Like everybody, almost everyone has heard of yoga. However, most people have no idea what it is. 
And if they do think they know what it is and they haven't actually like been to a, a truly grounded and philosophically sound class, they'll think it's all about your body. Like it's the pictures that you see on Instagram. It's about like the bendy stuff that you should be able to do with your body. And for my communities, I found that that's a huge mental barrier because the bodies that they're seeing are not our bodies. And so the there's less of a barrier of understanding or even experience when it comes to sound, which is a, a deeply important practice for most communities of color, especially Black people. <laughs> and then also um, like mindfulness, you know? So those make sense to people more, a lot more easily than the purpose of using the body as a tool for space. But and so I'm noticing that I can just move into the space of sound and space as opposed to using the body as a proxy. And once people have get, gotten more comfortable with it, then it actually makes them more inquisitive about asana. Um, so it's just, it's a different approach that I'm kind of paying attention to. Not that I'm trying to work, rope people into like a spiral of anything, but the entry point and the barriers of understanding are a lot lower for people to just take some space for themselves and rest, you know? Yeah. Rest is radical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of leads me into my next question, which is, you know, as an entrepreneur, I know for myself and Tristan and I have talked about this a lot, there is so much uh, noise around the hustle and just that whole culture. And in our course, we talk about how capitalism and white supremacy uphold each other. All these oppressive systems are bound up and tangled up in each other. And so what I witness with the way you show up in your business is um, a constant practice of pushing back against that. And I would love for you to talk about like what it means to be an anti-capitalist entrepreneur. Um, and then maybe sometimes where perhaps you've gotten that traditional capitalist advice about how to run your shit and you followed your intuition instead. Ooh, that's layered. Um, so, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so in the beginning <laughs> in America, our whole capitalist structure is built off of the labor of my ancestors and Black people, um, folks who are descendants of enslaved people here in America. And this is not debatable. Like, this is not fake news. You can go back and look at any of the banks and lenders that have majorly funded anything in America and see where their actual capital comes from. You can also see that these families, a lot of them that are related to the people who own these banks or led these banks are still living off of interest from enslavement. And that all coupled with being in my body, there's also a culture that we live in now that like, if I don't want to completely break my back to do anything, then I'm lazy and that I'm worthless and that you know, I'm not trying hard enough or my feelings aren't valid or that I like all of those things from a, a physical and energetic space of like, how much do I slash we have to continue to labor to be valid enough in this country? And so I, like many people, 
originally like leaned into this like hustle and grind because this is what you're supposed to do and this is how you get what you want and was suffering like <laughs> just suffering and not sleeping forgetting to eat and um not being very grounded to I think that's the the cutest way that I can say that because it's not cute <laughs> um and I also believe that in the layer of the way our country is set up at this point, it's easier for dominant culture to tell you to do those things because it doesn't hold these big corporations or companies accountable for giving us um, jobs and opportunities and hell relationships that are firmly grounded and rooted and supported. So if you have to make your own way, then they don't have to do what they're supposed to do. And, um, or they're not supposed to actually give you as a person who is contributing to these businesses, whether it's by labor or whether it's by anything else into these companies that what's given back is not reciprocal. And so for me, I, I realized it because I was suffering <laughs> a lot. And then I would look and see my friends suffering a lot and see how my family has suffered a lot and had worked and labored and then back and back and back and forward and forward and forward, honestly, in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, but as a business owner, what I do know, and this is kind of, we talked about this a little bit earlier, is I didn't start the business to like be balling. Like I did, I did not start Haven and I, I was this close to actually starting it as a nonprofit. But honestly, what I know to be true from um, being in AmeriCorps and working with nonprofits and other things like that is if you want a successful nonprofit, you really should run it like a business anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say like a business, I mean, you should make sure that you have um, viable income streams because grants are not sustainable at all, <laughs> especially if you want to do them in equitable ways. And nothing amplifies that more than like the executive orders that Trump has has just signed, particularly around equity work and how you can't get funding if you're doing it. Um, so I say all that to say, I did. I decided not to because I wanted to be able to, I know where my lines of integrity are. And if we, if we need to move or pivot or make decisions, I make that with our team and I can make them swiftly and I can make them in a way that is authentic. And once you start to kind of zoom out to a bunch of interests and other things like that, then it can get really muddled. Um, but as far as being anti-capitalist, I want to name, I've talked to somebody about this recently who was like, well, capitalism is good. Like capitalism is what our country is built off of. And like, what does that, the definition of capitalism, pure capitalism is not what we have here in America, number one. What we do have is a, financial system if you will that is and this this is more like social justice language and understanding of capitalism so there's like capital capitalism pure capitalism what we think we're supposed to have but then there's also like the system of capitalism that we are actually living with here and in the system of capitalism here in America it's really about the people who have the biggest business, the most money, the most actual capital. And sometimes it's the most initial social capital that turns into real capital. Um, then the better supported that you are. And those are small numbers of people. Um, you'll hear many um, 
truthful. I mean, honestly, they don't really have a reason not to tell the truth because money is flowing up for them. The more money that you make, the easier that it is to make money in America. The less money that you have, the easier it is to lose money because things are way, way, way more expensive. Things are way harder to um, attain and they're way harder to sustain. So um, as the work of anti-capitalism to me um, or to actual capitalism is really like you, people pay you money to do a thing. You have people pay you more and more and more and more money. You make more and more and more money and that makes you a success. Then you can move out of your neighborhood, turn around, throw some charity at some people in the neighborhood and the world is great. But that's not how any of this works. A community in a neighborhood pays so much of their time and effort and care and joy and struggle into creating you. And then you leave and you're not there anymore. So their investment is lost, right? And so that is a relational way to think about what we're talking about. And so in a space of like, I don't know if I've actually ever called myself an anti-capitalist, but I think about myself as a relational business person. And that is, um, there are practices and like ways that I like to have things set up to keep things clear, to keep us legal, because Lord knows if they weren't, then the first people that they would come for are businesses and people like mine. <laughs> um, but then also, I don't think about um, people in interactions like transactions. I think that the whole sum of a person's experience is more important than how much money that they can give. And that has amplified into really why I feel like I have so much social capital and have so many beautiful relationships. And so many people that look out for us in ways that I'd never asked for or even probably will ever know is because like I and our teachers actually care about what happens to people when they come through our doors and when they leave our doors and we're invested in them. And we would hope that there's a reflection of them wanting to invest in us, whether that's, you know, do you need someone to come clean yoga mats or during COVID, like we're going to make sure we keep our membership because we don't ever want you to close. Um, if those show up in different ways from things I never have to, or like really want to ask for because we show up for people. So um, that's really what, what I do um, and how, if I have to do business another way, I would not do it. Um, but that's also the beauty of having a business is that I get to choose whether I buy into certain things or not. And if people don't like that, then they can go somewhere else. I love this <laughs> so much because part of what I'm hearing you talk about is centering relationship. And I, I always say in the marketing consulting work that, that I do in, with my individual clients that marketing is about relationship and connection building. It's not about mm -hmm. like trying to sell people and this whole like, you know, put a call to action in your Instagram post or make sure you have a lead magnet. Like I'm not saying those things aren't, you know, valuable tools or concepts to practice and explore, but I am saying that I think the more effective way to grow something is to treat it like it's rooted in relationship building mm -hmm. rather than financial profit or success or gain. And I, mm -hmm. I hear you saying that in terms of like, 
sure, you might not call yourself an anti-capitalist, but you are centering relationships and that's mm -hmm. how you're, you know, growing your work. Sorry, Siri apparently wants to hear me talk about this some more, just like randomly turned on. <laughs> Anyways, relationship. I just, I, I think that's so like such a lovely thing to, to focus on. Yeah. I mean, and, and it is also, I mean, we're in the space where people are picking up on things they feel like are buzzwords and just like kind of parroting them. You can't, and when I say relationship, it's authentic relationship. You can't fake authenticity. Um, I, you can't, I just, I don't, I personally haven't seen it done and I don't, I really don't believe you can fake authentic relationship. We are as, you know, the beautiful creatures that we are, are finely tuned to see as best as we can, especially when we're with someone face-to-face -face, or even with Zoom, how people's tonation happens when they say certain things and like how their facial expressions are, how their body positions are. There's a lot of nonverbal cues that we have in addition to what they actually say, right? And so it's very hard, I would assert, damn near impossible to fake authenticity. And that's really where the essence of it is. You have to truly care. And also, um, not that I want this to happen, but I've said in, in quiet spaces, and I guess not so quiet anymore if I'm saying on this podcast, <laughs> is that as much as I don't want this to happen, um, we've been able, Haven's been able to keep our physical doors open and teach virtually and do online experiences. We have had the only in-person thing that we've done that has felt comfortable has been the outdoor meditation because it's not a lot of physical exertion. It's easier for people to be still in their space with a mask on, even outside. Um, but if during COVID for whatever reason, we had to close our physical doors, I would be okay with that because keeping people safe and whole is more important to me. The building, we can find another building, we can find another space as much as I really don't want to because there's a whole lots of story about all the effort that has gone into our cute little teeny tiny space. But that's not more important than our people, you know? Um, and I mean that deeply, but I, I know that there are many folks who that's not, well, if we can't afford our rent, then like this thing is over. And that's them and that's fine, but like that legitimately is not my major concern, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like the way that you have navigated COVID as a business owner, especially in the yoga space is unusual. Um, unfortunately, it's not common that yoga studios are choosing not to host in-person classes unless they've been outdoors, right? Um, we talked a lot about this in our mentorship group with Michelle and um, it, it's just, yeah, if you're if you're really in a practice of centering people's well-being, which ideally as a yoga space or a wellness space, that's what folks are doing allegedly. Um, you know, you wouldn't come back even at lower capacity and breathe in a enclosed space together <laughs> during an outbreak of a disease that is all about the breath and the lungs. It's uh, a whole respiratory virus. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of blows my mind. Um, but I, yeah. yeah, I feel like that has been one way that you've really I mean, you were already a leader, but I feel like this is just another example of like your leadership and how you, again, really walk the talk when it comes to social justice and taking care of people. 
Yeah, I mean, also, like, there's a certain amount of letting go I have to, to or I, I say, like, leave a little room for magic for myself, because as a person who has, um, I've been told um, and felt really high anxiety, I also feel like a lot of it is trauma. There's lots of things wrapped up in there. Um, if I don't leave that space, and I will drive myself absolutely into the ground. Um, and that's also how we culture Black femme people. So there's that too. I think um, I really want to bring up and amplify too, because I'm not that I think that your audience is only going to be people that are in the wellness world, the yoga world, but I just want to bring up the idea, especially right now, that um, supporting your local places and wellness spaces that are doing the work is more important than ever. Um, my studio didn't get any federal funding out of the trillions of dollars that were supposedly supposed to be going places. Um, and that's not from lack of trying. That is not from um, lack of, of effort or care at all, but that is, that's real. And also um, when we're talking about capitalism, corporations more than ever are wellness, the wellness industry, I put that in air quotes, or even the yoga industry, put that in air quotes as, as systems, are more popular than ever. And some of the, the more lucrative, honestly, than most places, because in the past few years, I'm sure everyone has noticed this, that like, oh, all of a sudden everyone is doing yoga or like wellness or wearing yoga pants or whatever. And that's because when usually when there are things that are actually helpful for people, then capitalism or businesses are like, we can make money off of that. And as opposed to keeping it as its liberatory and open and healing self, it's like, oh no, you need this thing in order to do this. And so that means you still are lacking something and you have to pay for it, whether that's a perfect body or the right clothes or, you know, the right language, the perfect crystals, like, you know, where I'm going with this. So like, if you don't have all the right stuff, then just like, I don't even know why you're trying. Um, so I say all that to say with COVID and the fact that many studios have pivoted online, which I will note, I have been planning to do virtual offerings for before the studio opened. And so I had already done research about how I wanted to do it. And so that's also how it was easier. People, everybody's talking about pivoting right now. It was not a pivot. We just moved into something that I had been thinking about for a long time. Um, is that corporations, because they have money, are a lot of times now paying to paying for content for teachers to teach. And they are making platforms that are undercutting your local studio's actual offerings. And so that is, you know, the, the yoga glows. And now MindBody has its own online um, teaching offering, which is undercutting all of the studios that actually have MindBody. I don't have MindBody, but that, that's not like a, a shade. We've never had MindBody because I've never liked their business practices, but they are a large corporation that are now undercutting their initial and major market. Um, that is how, I mean, just all over the place, you see all these random just tech companies that are capitalizing on yoga and wellness. And so I would highly encourage everyone to do their homework 
and find and support local. We say that in a lot of different ways, but especially now paying um, 10, 20, some places, 30, depending on what it is for their online memberships um, helps keep a studio open or functioning or actually working and investing in your community as opposed to a company in Silicon Valley that really could care less about your actual wellness. Um, so sorry, I'm get, I'll get off my soapbox, but that's no. been something that feels really like real for me because I keep seeing it more and more. And like, I get really pissed off. I'm human and I usually cuss at the screen. And then when I see the ads for them on YouTube or on Facebook or on Instagram, then I always like report them as spam and, or I report them as inappropriate content. Yeah, she girl. Takes a sip of her wine. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So, so there's that every time. And it's like, why? I'm like, not only is this irrelevant, but it's offensive. Goodbye. <laughs> it is. Well, and that that kind of leads us as we start to wrap up. Like, I know what we both wanted to ask and leave folks with is how can they support you? And it sounds like definitely checking out the online offerings for one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we have a website. Um, we are pivoting. There's so many things that go with like the back end of the interwebs. Um, but online.havenyogaindy.com is how you find us easily right now. If you can't remember that it's online in front, then you can just type Haven Yoga Indie and it'll redirect you. <laughs> um, but we have classes, multiple classes almost every day um, and a beautiful group of teachers. Um, our teachers are blended. The majority of our teachers are folks of color, though. Um, we do, and I keep, so I'm going to keep it brief here, but um, one of the barriers, not a barrier, but the interesting thing about who we center is I've had to have this conversation, or I do have this conversation with um, white folks who want to teach in our studio, and like white folks that I actually want to teach in our studio, because everybody is not the right fit. <laughs> for for reasons that we do not have time here to under to to unpack um but quickly I've had white folks and white teachers say that they're like well can I even be there this is our studio is for absolutely everyone but just like your yoga studio that would never say that they center white able-bodied cis women who have a certain amount of money we're actually being vocal and saying that we're centering the experiences of folks who are often marginalized. So people with bigger bodies, elders, black and brown folks. Um, so I say all that to say that also happens in our teachers and the teachers that are on our um, roster, no matter what shade or hue of pigment they are, are about the action that I've been talking about on this call. So you should still take their classes because they're glorious. <laughs> Um, but we have meditation classes. We have a couple of virtual sound meditations that we've been hosting. I sub on those on occasion and honestly, whatever other people need. Um, we have yin classes, you know, combination of different things, gentle classes, other all levels flow class or multi-level flow classes available there. And then we're moving into more virtual programming. So more conversations and coloring and other affinity groups for different groups of people so that's the best way to find find our studio work there and if you want to find me because I am a person and I own a studio but I also am a person <laughs> so I am on Instagram at the girl named Charlie and it's named 
named with the ed we'll put and, it in the show notes too for sure <laughs> yeah girl named charlie and then i have a website which is charlierid.com that i'm in the process of adding some of my actual programming offerings on there too so yeah. that's the easiest way for people to find me and can i make a shameless plug for our next round of our course shameless plug <laughs> yes please plug. um so um charlie and i as radically awaken um we were wrapping up our first round of anti-racism for wellness leaders um it's a six-month course that we're doing again january through june of next year so um by the time this comes out our website will be ready to go we'll have the application and i'll be sure to link all of that too but um whether even if you're not in yoga but you're maybe a life coach or a doula or a health worker or just any sort of um, career where you're helping people with their well-being, um, we would love to have you. We've even had like attorneys and all kinds of folks. Well, that's because there's layers. That's why I like intentionally say well-being, not wellness, because I feel like wellness really centers your physical body. But well-being is like financial wellness. Like we we, we need all of the things. Um, you know, relational wellness, you know, other types of therapists. And there's so many layers to all of the things that we need to be well. People who are like food justice warriors and urban farmers, like that is wellness very much. Um, but I, I do want to say to add along to that shameless plug, hearing six months sounds like a lot. And just so you know, that's very much on purpose. Anti-racism and equity work and leading into the spaces of what it looks like to excavate that in yourself and to excavate that in the work that you do is not a two-day workshop. That's not to say that you can't do something that's in a shorter time frame that could be helpful and impactful and start you on your journey, but we really mean for this to be more of a communal deep dive into where these things come from, shared language, and then what moving forward could be helpful for you to start to dig into as you continue this lifelong journey of anti-racism work, especially as it's applicable to anti-Blackness. So it's meant to be long on purpose, and there's a method to our madness. I want to echo everything you just said, and I... uh want to do another shameless plug, which that is that the three of us have an offering coming up in January as well. Oh, so yes. yeah. Um, and this is very much, it was something we thought about doing pre-election and we just realized folks do not have the capacity for it. Um, and neither did we frankly, um, yeah. but social justice for entrepreneurs, which is, um, you know, more expansive than just anti-racism. Um, it'll be a six part, I guess we're calling it a course slash program where the three of us are going to facilitate, um, and, and just teach about how to bring social justice values into your work. So mm-hmm. I don't know if either one of you wants to share more about that, but yeah, I mean, I think that the the social justice for entrepreneurs course or series, whatever we want to call it, it really uh, complements and intersects nicely with the entire theme and mission and goal and intention of this podcast, which is like, how do we as entrepreneurs, as solo business owners and small business owners or creators um, tie in values, tie in social justice activism, um, stay in line and with being authentic, as Charlie was referring to earlier in terms of like centering authentic relationships and leverage our privileged identities where we can and when we can and keep using our voices and our, our actions to hopefully create change. And I think one thing I'm really looking forward to 
is actually taking some of both of your sessions when you're teaching, um, though I'll also be facilitating separately as well, more from an LGBTQ gender um, standpoint. And I just think the the collaboration that we're embarking on in our different voices and backgrounds and again, identities, like I really hope that we can create a space for people to go deep into these conversations, which are just so needed, so timely. And regardless of what happens in the election, we're recording this pre-election, it'll come out post-election, regardless of what happens, this is needed, this is timely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's for sure. I, I'm very excited to, to hop on to some of the other content as well. That's one of the... Um, I don't know, one of the beauties of being a a true learner is like the work that we're all doing and sharing is also the work that we're in. And yes. so I get really excited to actually learn and expand and grow um, and then also be able to share and support. I love hyping other people up when they're like doing their authentic stuff. Like that's, I didn't put this in my title, but like all the things I said and then like there's a comma and then there's like, personal hype woman I love doing that <laughs> I do too <laughs> oh my gosh I love gassing people up and just like to like just let them feel lightness and joy and like care and excitement uh this is really great so I'm excited about that um and how we'll all work and kind of move together and kind of resource each other especially around all of the intersections of what we do so yeah I can't wait it's 2021 is going to be well, how did you say, I wrote down what you said earlier, Charlie, you said wonder and terror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and I, I feel pretty like pretty on brand. Yeah. That's going to be the long game here. I mean, liberation is, is lifelong work and I'm so grateful to be in it with both of you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for joining us, Charlie. Yeah, It's been wonderful. This is a great little chit chat. I'm yeah. sure that we'll continue to have more chit chats like this. I'm also excited to hear some of the other offerings that you guys are going to have on the podcast especially because yeah. this is like so new and um yeah thanks for having me thank, thank you. you appreciate you okay.